Deep Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you along. What will the future of elderly care look like in China? Given that home-based care is preferred by the majority of senior citizens and traditional family values persist to some extent, we could be walking into an episode of the old looking after the very old at home. What effect will it have? On family relationships, social care systems, and the twilight years of citizens, and cultivated meat has been a source of controversy around the world. We take a look at the implications of lab-grown meat on the agriculture industry as well as climate change. For today's program, I'm joined by Josh Cotterell on the line and our pal Neil Holin back on the show after. More than a year. More than a year. Very happy to be back. It's wonderful to have this lineup, and it's the first time that us three are doing the show together.、That's、Always、true. excited. <laughs> first time, you know, and first on today's show. As life expectancy lengthens, adult children in their fifties and sixties are increasingly caring for frail older parents, which is a growing population in China of those living into their seventies, eighties, and beyond. Despite the fact that traditional values of filial piety and caring for the elderly still run deep in society, few people plan for it in detail. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin. We're seeing a growing population in the very senior age cohort, and they could certainly. Do with more care, but who's providing it? So set the table first. Demographic change in the elderly age group. Of course, if we take a look at the big picture here in China, we see the rising population of the very elderly. To start with, we have the younger elderly, aged sixty to sixty-nine; the elderly, aged seventy to seventy-nine; and the very old, aged eighty and above. For the sake of the following conversation, let's put the age group just right there. The overall elderly population rises. We see, according to the National Bureau of Statistics, the country's population aged sixty and above has reached. More than 260 million, and that is around one sixth of the population in 2020. So every six persons, you would see one over the age of 60. The population aged 65 and above is 190 million. That's 13 percent of the total, and according to a report by the state council, the elderly population aged 60 and above will surpass 300 million during the period of time 2021 and 2025, taking up over 20 percent of the total Chinese population. And they are not the care receiver. Of our conversation today, actually, many of them might just be the caregiver because, according to a 2021 report by a local news portal in Shandong, there were around 36 million people aged 80 and above in 2020, accounting for 2.54 percent of the top total population,、uh, more than doubled an increase of 14.85 million people and 0.98 percent compared to 2010. So we are looking at the population of the 
older elderly getting increased, and apparently the younger elderly are having this responsibility to take care of them.、Uh, we see that China had over thirty-seven million people aged eighty and above in twenty twenty. We have Director He Dan of the China Population and Development Research Center said this February that the center predicted that the number of elderly people aged 80 and above in China will quadruple by 2050. Yes, and also we're seeing the rise in life expectancy in this country, especially among women. Apparently, the recent figures of the average life expectancy of Chinese women has exceeded. Eighty years old, and Josh, you're from the UK. Are you seeing a similar situation going on in your country? Are these familiar woes? Does it sound to you that who is it going to take care of the very old of our population? And it could be their rather old, grown-up kids. Yeah, we we definitely have a similar situation in that our population is also aging, and. Although there are some big differences in caregiving in this respect in the UK, it's actually a huge issue in the UK. One of the the biggest issues, or arguably, I would say, the biggest issue facing elderly people is actually mental health problems and loneliness. Not having anybody to take care of them, and not just take care of them, but even speak with them, socialize with them, which has a serious impact on their mental health, and then after that, their physical health as well. So. We don't have a system in place、uh, exactly like this、uh, that we are discussing here in China. There are many systems in place, though,、uh, especially through our national health service.、Um, the national health service in the UK it provides services to UK residents, elderly UK residents, such as home care, nursing care, things like this. And we also have social care from local councils. And being that the UK is a relatively small country with lots of little councils, these councils are. Have quite a lot of responsibility for giving care, providing social care to the elderly, but we don't have any schemes exactly like this right now. Right. Well, I don't necessarily think we have a scheme here either. It's more like we're trying to work with what we have in our hands, as well as traditional values in this society still runs deep. And then, therefore, what kind of solutions can we come up with? But just to quickly follow up with what you just said, Josh, is it like the family isn't? Necessarily, the primary caregiver when we're looking at, all right, it's an old person who needs some extra care, but this person doesn't necessarily need to go to a senior home yet. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to get accurate statistics on things like this about care because we also have to discuss what adequate care actually、yeah. constitutes, right? What constitutes adequate care? But to answer your question, it. At least it is my feeling after being in China for so long, and obviously coming from the UK, that the family is a lot more involved in this culture in、mm. China. I okay. mean, okay. in the UK. Actually, the Chinese government is promoting a three-tiered senior care system, whereby ninety percent of elders are expected to stay at home. So their family members would be the primary caregiver, and seven percent at community centers. So they live together. They would have some volunteers or supporters in the facilities helping them, and three percent in institutional senior care centers. I would assume these are the rather older elderly that really needs a. On the clock kind of care and also some medical professional help. So that's 
the scheme you talked about previously. I feel like, but I do agree for that ninety percent elderly living at home. Sometimes because of the lack of professional knowledge, because the infectious situation that the not very old elder people in the family. Are very much preoccupied with their life. Perhaps many of them are still working. They're not retired yet. Some retired ones are in need to help their kids taking care of the grandchildren.、Mm. So yeah, they have a lot on their plate, and they can only do the best to help their older folks at home. And here's one interesting caveat. I'm not sure if interesting is the right word here. There's the developing caveat here. That is, well, now we're talking in China about the old looking after the very old, and this didn't necessarily exist. On such a wide scale in the past, and you might question: Well, people always get old, then they would need care. Why is it not? Then it is for the fact that Chinese people are growing older. Yeah. That, if I may point out, sadly, in the past, that people's life expectancy didn't used to be this long,、mm-hmm. and therefore the offsprings they didn't need to worry about so much of. Their parents living into the 80s or 90s as such, but now this is something they need to think about. And some people kind of say this in a sarcastic manner that after retirement, then there's another job that some people will need to take up,、mm-hmm. and that is. Rather sarcastic and cynical in Chinese, because usually you wouldn't think of caring for the elderly as a so-called task, job, work, that kind of thing. Because you're supposed to be honoring your parents, you're supposed to look after them anyway, because that's how you fulfill the so-called filial piety,、mm-hmm. as such. So it's really interesting to see that these social dynamics are changing in China, and then. So-called new social issues arise at the same time. So as people age and their health deteriorates, they begin to need more help with daily activities. With many formal, long-term care services available, but cost concerns and personal preferences might rely on informal care from adult children. And This is what we're talking about here. So, who is to take care of the very old? We have some of the figures here, and who is it to take care of the very old? We think that it's grown adults, the children, but in reality, often it falls on the shoulders of daughters and female relatives. Anyway, Niu Honglin, give us some of the details that you found. Well, according to Sixth Tone, in October 2022, a top government official said that more than half of the country's older population lived alone, and the percentage of such empty nesters was over 70% in some big cities and rural areas. And the daughters in the family would take on the responsibility of taking care of the their older parents at home, usually. There are different kind of patterns, actually, because for this generation of the rather old, of the older elderly in China, usually they would have more than one child, which means if the family is working together very smoothly, they can take on the responsibility respectively. So, I'll take an example of a grandparents of. My very close friends has four 
children, and each child would take care of her in their home for three months. Which means every three months she would have to travel from one home to another. It's not intercity traveling. It's not that far away. But for a lady in her late eighties, it is still traveling. And also she had to change her life pattern, her daily routine, her habit. But she has been taken really good care of. All of her children love her very much. They would entertain her and even start a WeChat video call with her grandparents and greater grandparents. So that is a very ideal situation already. But it is, I'm not going to say burden, but it is definitely work、mm-hmm. for her four daughters and one son. And think of the generation、yeah. of being the only child. When we grow old, I don't even know where to look to see who's gonna provide that care. Yeah, I I think it's it's a little bit worrying, right?、Uh, and I think that in the UK as well, there is a cultural expectations, like in many societies, that women will assume the greater responsibility for caregiving than men. Particularly for elderly family members, so、uh, it's it's definitely a little bit uh, worrying um, and something. It's difficult also to know what to do about this, especially in China, because I guess that this is a reasonably new issue, and so much in China is so new. China's developing so fast and has developed so fast over the last few decades that、um, these questions really do remain quite、uh, unanswered. I think, and、um, I'm not sure if. Any there's many examples to look to look from and take information from around the world, but I do know for sure that it is an opportunity for us, like today, to discuss this and hopefully bring to light some of the issues that can be re- resolved, especially with caregiving to elderly people, because it's it seems like it it already is becoming very real. One thing I do like to share here is that I feel like if we're lucky enough, we will all reach the age of rather really, really old elderly, and、um, there is this step that we might all take that is to fall in ill and then、um, requiring bed rest. And then maybe lose the ability to take care of ourselves and need around-the-clock care. And hopefully, hopefully, we want to put the two final—well, actually, the last stage—as late as possible. That is to say, if we take really good care of ourselves, and now we take really good care of our parents, our grandparents, maybe they can keep their ability to take care of themselves. That would provide them with a much better quality of life and would take away the. So-called burden of their not very old elder children, and、um, that is why hopefully、uh, what I'm going to say is not going to be used for you for your entire life. But if we knock on the wood and it's if it's possible, I like you to know the knowledge about stroke. Actually, stroke is becoming the biggest cause of death in China, and every 16 seconds. One Chinese person would die of stroke, but this is the kind of disease that requires immediate medical interference. If a patient is sent to the hospital within the six hours, one the patient is show signs of stroke, they may receive a full recovery. And I know it sounds like this is not that relevant to the topic. But think about a elder person if they can be sent to a hospital and can receive a full recovery and can walk slowly to the grocery and buy their own food and cook for themselves. They would be much happier than stay in bed and require their 
already not so young children to take care of them, which is why I'm introducing the signs of strokes here. That is face, arms, speech, and time. So face means you can ask the person to smile or to stick out their tongue, see if their facial expressions are natural. Arms means that ask the person to raise both arms. Does one arm drift downwards? Maybe they have lost control over one arm. If that happens, it's a sign of stroke. And speech, we can ask the patient to repeat a small sentence, a simple sentence after we say the sentence and see if they still have the ability of their speech. And time is, what do you do if you observe any of these signs in yourself or someone else? You should call 120 in China immediately. Call for medical help. Don't call your relative. Don't wait and see for their signs. Just directly call for medical help. And hopefully you don't need that knowledge. But if it can come in handy, maybe it will give you or your loved ones many more good years. Yeah, really, I think nowadays we're looking at a huge challenge on the elderly care system as well as the healthcare system. And if we're talking about enhancing people's quality of life, if especially if they're quite old, then there's this extra care system that doesn't necessarily mean this person needs to go to the hospital, but how can this person's quality of life be maintained as so many of us in this country are growing old and going to live on for for many years, which is supposed to be a good thing. But for those who are already in this situation that are looking after the elderly parents and they're not so young themselves, they're facing quite the predicament to some extent as well. I'm sure there is the bright side of things that you are spending these years with your parents and then that's that's bringing new memories, joys, and you know your parents want this because they don't want to go elsewhere. They want to be cared at home and therefore you're providing that. And I think that's very rewarding and that's very special as well. But there's also some of the tough realities that they're facing. And could we also shed some light on that aspect of things? Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of problems that they're going to face here. It's a difficult task for anybody. And I think that a lot of time, especially some of the information that I've found about my own country, a lot of these people that are providing this kind of care are actually professionals who've been trained. And there's a lot of things that people may have never experienced before and don't know how to deal with. So it's complicated in that respect. But uh, it's not just about making a few phone calls and greeting people with concern, etc., buying food. Um, there's a lot of other things that uh, comes into this, even medical training, for instance. And the younger elderly, as we're referring to them now, they also have other people to take care of, right? If they're at that age, they may even have grandchildren uh, by this point. So in essence, that's sort of three generations, the one above them, their children, and then their own grandchildren. It's a lot of people that they've got to take care of. So the amount of time that they've got on their hands, and if they're still working, which presumably they are, if they're in their 50s or something like this, that's a lot of stuff that they've got on their plate and pretty unrealistic to imagine that they'll be able to do this. Yeah. And also, they may need more care. Uh, apart from cooking and providing companionship, these younger elderly may also need to provide more care because these very old people, there's a much higher risk of becoming disabled, right? Mm -hmm. And even if the these old people are not disabled, they may need more care as they become older, especially if they're reaching ages above 90 year old, for example. So 
it's a huge task, a huge task. Uh, I don't think it's very easy to over-exaggerate how big it is, actually. Yes. And take my family, for example. Actually, my grandfather from my mother's side has reached the age of 90, and he had a um, full-time care living with him. And my uncle, as well as my mom, would, would visit him every, I think, twice a week, almost. And the problem with that, I feel like one thing is because he is gradually losing the ability of hearing, which means that his ability to accept information from the outside got compromised. That makes his day rather dull and boring. And communicating with his daughter and his son gets a little bit harder. And that makes the communication between them, the emotional support, even hard to convey even if they want to. So that poses a problem to both sides because they're they're trying to talk to each other, but the conversation doesn't go as they wish. And that kind of emotional burden, I feel like, is not too overlooked as well. Right. And I think emotional distress is a big factor in this because even if we're talking about for the younger elderly who is the primary caregiver here. And just imagine your day to be focused on giving care to somebody else. And this time it happens to maybe be mom or dad. And then if somebody is suffering from some kind of ailment, rarely are they in a good mood. Mm. And you're supposed to offer physical support as well as mental support, this emotional support we're talking about here, but nobody's charged all the time. Yeah, to do that. So it's also, I think, important to see that fact that maybe you come in with very good intentions, but the reality of you're just an average person trying to give support and you might not be able to provide that adequate support. And then if you have some health issues as well, and then it just sounds like a very bad, vicious cycle of care and having the good intentions to do so, but fail to deliver. And that is that is the tough situation that many families could be faced with. New Holin, you mentioned earlier about many sons and daughters trying to care for your granddad or for an elderly person. I know in the Chinese context, this could be a little bit crude, but could families contemplate in giving professional care to this elderly person, which means sending him or her with their own consent to a care home? Well, actually, that happens as well. And I think it's not a bad choice for many families if they are um, dealing with the situation, for example, some of the younger elderly actually live in different cities with their older elderly parents, and that pose a problem. Um, they concern about their safety. They do not want them to live by themselves and facing danger and without even have the ability to call professional help. In that case, they would be sent to uh, seek professional help, but apparently many older elderly find that idea not very inviting. They do not want to live in facilities, and that poses a problem as well. 
Yeah. Well, when we're doing research for this topic, actually, I was quite pleasantly surprised that there are some senior homes which provide very good care. Um, But of course, it's not always the case. And there's definitely a a bit of um, stigma that needs to be erased, I think, for, for some people who need this care but also do you have the financial means to check into one of Mm. these senior homes is another question josh could you share with us some of the so-called maybe solutions or remedies that you see in your country to make life a bit easier for the very old people in society i think many of the things that have been done in my own country uh they are being pushed in in every society. And of course, the first thing is improved access to healthcare, um, promoting social activities and community engagement. This is something that in my country is a big struggle. We, we see this a lot less elderly people, for example, socializing and actually being involved in the community, even getting outside of the house um, is a big issue here because of course that is connected to loneliness, etc. And Um, improving access to transportation. I think that's another key aspect in the UK that we are trying to improve as well. Yes, and as the creeping prevalence of aging society presents more challenges to all societies around the world, I think we're still in the midst of this and trying to figure out what is the possible best solution for our own society. And, well, we keep you up to date with what's going on here in China. You're listening to Roundtable. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. I was born on the 17th of November. Delve into a world of words with Books and Beyond, a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon you, limpid one. Why have you taken... Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Tzu underlined three points on the context game There was initiative. no better wine, and not to mention... The Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audiobooks will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Niu Holin in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, Italy could be the first country to ban cultivated meat. What are the advantages and disadvantages of lab-grown meat? And one man's meat is another man's poison. You must have heard of the saying. We took a look at some wild food and beverage combinations in China. They could actually be very good for some people, and other people just don't like the idea at all. Ooh. <laughs> If you've never sent us a voice memo, there's no better time than now. 
Send us your audio questions to EZFMRoundtable at foxmail.com. Your questions could be answered in our Heart to Heart segment, and it would be great to include your name, the province, or region you live in so we know a little bit more about you. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, the Italian government has given its support to a bill that could ban lab-produced meat and other synthetic foods in a bid to protect the nation's food heritage. We've had a debate on synthetic meat in this country a couple of years ago when coffee chains included plant-based meat into their menu, but was met with a mixed bag of consumer response. So bring us up to speed with the possible ban on synthetic meat in Italy first. Sure. According to a recent report by Forbes.com, the Italian government has given its support to a bill that would prohibit the sale of lab-grown meat and other synthetic foods, highlighting Italian food heritage as a leading cause. If the bill passes, anyone who violates the ban could face fines up to around $65,000 U.S. dollars. Calling for protection of natural food versus synthetic food, lobbyists have collected half a million signatures in recent months and a lot of people surveyed i think around 80 percent people surveyed supported this bill supporting banging the use of synthetic meat josh so what have you seen as reactions from people who support and i bet you there are a lot of people who don't like this idea anyway yeah it's a little bit complicated uh, in my own country and for me as well uh, I think that most people don't have a huge issue with it in my own country, simply because vegetarianism and veganism has become so popular in the last few decades and is increasingly popular in the UK. So this idea of synthetic meat, I think that it's really the the, the wording is quite yeah. important because synthetic, I feel as though this word has a lot of negative uh, connotations attached to it actually because synthetic it's kind of got this connection to plastics mm. fake something that's maybe unhealthy or dangerous right because yeah. usually when we use this word synthetic we're talking about something that's not as good as the real thing right but if we were to use another word which i think is basically synonymous with the word synthetic we could use the word lab grown which also doesn't sound that, that doesn't delicious sound or great right either. but i think that we could use other words because really what we're just talking about here is lab grown meat and i think that it's been received quite positively in a lot of countries and a lot of cultures i think it's really interesting that italy is pushing for this right now because um i think it's just quite telling that there's a big urge to remain traditionalist at least in the culinary world in italy maybe there's more of a desire for that in than in other countries. In the United Kingdom, people often consider it to be better for the environment, better for food security. What I mean by that is global food challenges, sustainability and things like this, um, scalable sources of protein and stuff like this. Also the health benefits and of course, animal welfare. Right. Uh, if people are vegetarian or non-meat eaters because of that. But the fact or the thought of having meat grown in a petri dish does not put you off at all no it, it's just different it's something new and i think often with new foods or new food styles when we first encounter them 
they do seem very strange to us because we've been brought up eating a similar type of food our whole lives. It's, for example, the first time I came to China and I tried chodofu, right? This was just completely bizarre to me. And I'll still say that I'm not a huge fan, but I'm at least used to it now. And I'm not comparing them completely, but my point really just here is that, yes, it does seem a bit strange to have a beef burger grown in a poultry dish. Of course, it's not beef, right? Mm. Um, but it's supposed to taste like that. But I think that we'll soon get used to it. Yeah. Oh, well, you're very optimistic about this. And yes, stinky tofu, that is something that I, as a Chinese person, still cannot take, but, you know, to each their own. Um, New Holian, same question to you. Do you think the majority of Chinese people are ready to accept this idea that their meat is not coming from an animal, but maybe from a lab? I think it depends on the maturity of the actual technique, because nowadays we still have many problems when it comes to grow meat out of a lab. The technology is not matured there yet, and they are not actually growing I would say a chicken wing, you cannot see the texture and see the feather of the chicken wing. You are merely looking at a pile of tissue of chicken cells. That is a little bit compelling. But on the other hand, if we ban the use of artificial meat, of course, no scientists, no money or industry would go into the research of such. So the technology would not be advanced. Mm. So we can't really go into the stage where we can see where we don't have to harm any chicken. We can just grow a line of chicken wings in the lab. That sounds a little weird too, but I feel like I can accept that much better. And when it comes to artificial meat in China, on top of this lab-grown meat, we have another choice. That is the plant-based meat, which... I feel like I've tried it so many times when I was a little girl in primary school. I would go outside, buy the so-called vegetarian chicken. That is actually some bean product or soy product. They would taste a little bit like meat. I have to admit, there's still huge difference between the vegetarian chicken and the real chicken. But still, it tastes quite well. And Chinese people are pretty acceptable to that. Right, we've For sure. all, yes, we've always had these jai cai. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right? And uh, it wasn't necessarily out of the goodwill of protecting the environment, but we've had this long, long, long tradition of... It used to be in the ministries or temples mm. when monks had to be vegetarian, and then they developed all these vegetarian dishes that could, to some extent, resemble the taste of meat. So it's really interesting to see that aspect of uh, Chinese cuisine, could it be popularized <laughs> and elevated to, oh, that might be a solution to cut carbon emissions, uh, raise less number of cattle, and that could be good for the environment. And this kind of discussion, I think, exists in China, but still possibly restricted more in certain circles mm. in big cities, because you've still got the vast population around China who still possibly think that having red meat on the dinner table is a sign of prosperity, good protein, and um, being able to sort of make the 
diet more nutritious. So we're at different parts of this curve as a nation. Yeah, and talking about this technology and looking at very fashionable Heyang, I like to ask you if they can grow some. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> skin of crocodile or snake combined together, and you can use that to make a very beautiful bag without hurting any of those animals. You would like the idea, right? That's really interesting. <laughs> I think in in theory <laughs> it would work. There are still some fashionistas who are into exotic skin, despite the fact that、uh, many major designer houses have stopped using、mm. um, these kind of skins for animal welfare and to protect animals, that kind of thing. But you know, with luxury goods, there's the other cachet that is, if it's all farm grown, if it If the cost is not so high, then、ah. luxury is not elevated to that level. Therefore, why would anybody pay basically an arm and a leg for that stuff?、Mm. But but that's a discussion for a different day, maybe. Yes, when we talk about synthetic, mainly it's either lab-grown meat or plant-based meat. And actually, there is a lot of technology that goes into plant-based meat as well. All over the world, and we're seeing advances in these areas. But there is still a big debate that goes on in many countries about maybe some countries, like what Josh mentioned earlier, are into this idea or more susceptible to the idea of synthetic meat. But in others, they're still very much on the fence. So, what's the other side of the story, Josh? Yeah, I think a lot of people definitely are on the fence, and. I think, although this technology has existed for some time, time is all, always relative. But I guess that it's been on the shelves for the best part of the last ten years, at least readily available, and definitely more popular in the last few years. But this whole industry and technology is pretty new. It's relatively new, and I think this is why we're going through this phase right now of rejection and acceptance and. I guess that my opinion is that eventually, somewhere down the line, whether that's in five years, ten years, or fifty years, it's going to be accepted generally by the whole of the world. I just think that's the way this technology is going. But we're just at just a weird turning point, I think. But even in my own country, as I said, it's relatively popular. It's still pretty new in the UK, and interest in it is pretty new. But it's definitely growing.、Um, I can give you a few examples if you like. There's several companies in the UK working on. Synthetic meat products, and for example, in 2019, there's a startup、uh, called Higher Stakes, and they produced our first lab-grown pork prototypes.、Um, while another company called Mosa Meat developed lab-grown beef. That's not that long ago, actually, 2019.、Um, I, although it seems like it was quite a long time ago, of course, for obvious reasons. But yeah, it really isn't that long. And so, consumer interest, developing an interest in foods. I think this is a really interesting conversation because it really shows that these trends, trends in food, can sometimes be quite slow, and it really goes to show that society really is built on a lot of the staple products that it's eat that it eats. And in Italy, for example, meats,、uh, sausage meats, and things like this, Italy is known for these foods, right? So it's not going to change its decision overnight about this. I don't know why in the UK we seem to be particularly more accepting of this. Maybe it's because. We need to create some sort of interesting food to to have to show the world、uh, to replace our potatoes. But um, yeah, um, anyway,、uh, I did find some stats here. Actually,、uh, a report by market research firm Mintel found that sales of meat-free products, including plant-based burgers and sausages, had increased by forty percent since two thousand and 
19. Um, so there you go. It's definitely increasing. Yeah. Well, I'd like to bring more information about meat consumption in China here. According to data from the National Bureau of Statistics, in 2020, China's per capita consumption of meat increased by 36% per capita. Consumption on poultry increased by 17% and per capita consumption on eggs increased by 10%. And I can totally see how that's happening with the development of the economic and social status and more and more people started to pay more attention to their health condition. I have a lot of people saying that they are saying no to carbs, which means they are going to have more, much, much more protein. And uh, that is why from 2014 to 2021, China's meat imports showed an overall upward trend as well, with a doubling in 2020 and a slight decline in 2021, but still reaching over 9 million tons. So this market demands meat for sure. And personally, I feel like if synthetic meat in the future could be a choice, perhaps China can at least start the conversation about whether or not we'll accept it. Yeah. And every country has their own circumstances. And in China, when we talk about food safety a lot, and just the thought that additives go into the foods, mm. it's very off-putting for much of the population. So I think we want to have food that is healthy and safe. And that is basically the bottom line here. And can you sustain that bottom line? I think that is definitely one of the fundamental aspects of this discussion that needs to be sorted out before this idea can be accepted for most people in this country. And on top of all that, when we talk about synthetic meat being really environmentally friendly, it is actually still debatable among all the scientists because that we are not really sure if this claim that the burger uses 99% less water, 93% less land, and 90% less fossil fuel emissions, than a quarter pound of meat, whether or not it is for real, whether or not we have enough research results supporting that data is still up to debate. So again, I am a huge supporter for technology, but this technology need to be further advanced. Mm. I agree. I, I think that the technology does need to be advanced, but I think that it's all about supply and demand here. I think that consumer acceptance of this product is definitely one of the biggest factors here. There's a lack of consumer acceptance for synthetic meat right now and getting used to the taste of it, worrying about safety or just the general unfamiliarity of how the products produce all of this may take some time. But I do think once that demand is there, when a nation wants it, really wants it, I think that more investment will inevitably go into its production and into the technology. And I think it will become uh, much more widely produced and available. And I just like to highlight one fact before we move on to the next topic, that is animal agriculture is one of the worst climate offenders responsible for 14% of global carbon emissions. In its most recent report, the United Nations Climate Agency states that slashing emissions from meat production is critical for climate action and has long urged wealthy nations to cut down on meat consumption. And maybe eating more vegetables sounds like a better option, although 
I know there are plenty of meat lovers out there, and it really is time to think about what we really want to put into our bodies and on our dinner tables. Innovators will have to work hand in hand with traditionalists, I believe, to solve this issue for sustainability. You're listening to Roundtable, coming up next. Are these strange or delicious food and beverage combos? Stay with us to find out more on this. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I have the lovely Niu Honglin in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. If you think coffee can only be paired with pastries, nuts, or fruit, then you are underestimating the creativity of Chinese coffee shop operators. Check out all the following foods that have been sold with coffee in the mini cafes that have mushroomed in recent years in cities around China. Rojiamo, <laughs> so. Maybe the Chinese meat burger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Youtiao. So that's the Chinese fried dough. Luosifen. The stinky eh. noodles. Ooh. And now there's a new duo to add to the list. Coffee with beef awful. Does it sound awful, Josh? <laughs> no, not particularly. And I think that, that this story is probably one of the most... Uh, least shocking stories that I've ever read on Grand Table. <laughs> no way! Um, but maybe that's the story itself, is because for me it seems perfectly normal. How it is that normal? That strange at all. So I'm very interested to hear from you guys about why this is even a news piece. Because I, I think that I've probably done this many times. It's not unusual for me to go into a coffee shop and have a coffee and eat this or go into another restaurant and order coffee. In the UK, we're constantly drinking hot cups of tea all time, all throughout the year. It doesn't matter when it is. So it doesn't seem that abnormal. Can me. I offer the definition of awful here? <laughs> that is the inside parts of an animal, such as the heart yeah. and liver, cooked and eaten as food. And that paired with coffee is certainly not what a traditionalist would like, but traditionalist coffee traditionalist, I suppose. So, Niu Honglin, why do you think this is news? Well, I feel like coffee is the sign of a very exquisite kind of lifestyle. You would have <laughs> a cup of coffee in your hand, walking to your very busy day. It starts your morning, give you the energy you need, and you feel, you know, rather high-end and energetic in your mind, whereas um, slow-cooked beef smooth stripe, small intestines, large intestines, all these inside organs. Well, they sound delicious to me, but they do not start my day. (laughs) I would (laughs) rather have them as this kind of snack on standing on the street, having this, maybe spending a holiday, perhaps in Hong Kong, hopefully (laughs) having this. So they don't pair well when you first hear the idea. But on the second thought, I feel like coffee has a lot of possibilities, apparently, <laughs> and pairing it up with all kinds of dish sounds plausible, at least. All right. Well, you also made beef awful sound like it's got more possibilities as well. Oh, yeah. I think it'd go nicely with some red wine. Oh, yeah, that could be an idea. <laughs> but not with coffee. <laughs> 
that's the thing about pairing up your food. I feel like pairing up your drink and your food. There are different ways to go around it. Of course, we can pick drinks with characteristics that contrast to the flavor in our food. I feel like a little bit contrast would help the food feel less greasy, less. Um, hard to continue, and there's the other way that is to mirroring the taste of the food you're having. And when it comes to coffee, I think the reason that we think coffee is a good drink to go with all kinds of food is we can customize our coffee. It can be americano when it's. Bitter, it's clean. It can take away the greasy feeling if you're facing a beautiful cheesecake that is very heavy、mm. and very sweet. You can use the coffee to, to kind of like a break from your heavy cheesecake. Voyage, but we can also make the coffee a little bit milky, very sweet, and use it to pair with other kind of food. So, since coffee has so many possibilities, maybe it's a good idea that you use different kind of coffee to go with different kind of food, and maybe there is a specific kind of coffee that is really good for beef offal. Ooh, um, <laughs> Josh, are you quite as adventurous as? Miss Niu Honglin, when it comes to coffee pairings, I mean, we're not talking about a niche thing that you do at home. We're talking about because these combinations have been sold in various places and shops in China. So, you know, do you think the public, let's say in the UK, can accept this? I think that people in China. It seems to me that there's a much greater taste for. Flavor, an intense flavor. At least I find that when I eat Chinese food, and even when I first got here and I first experienced bubble tea, something that I must say I'm not a huge fan of. It's just too too much for me, and the amount of fruits and different things that always seem to be shoved into this、um, cup, and all of these different flavors. And this, for me, does seem like something that. Would be more successful in China in that regard, but I do think this could be successful in my own country, in the UK, <laughs> where people's tastes generally tend to be a lot more、uh, vanilla. I would say, <laughs> and、um, yeah, I, I understand why this is popular because it's quite niche, and I think it's quite marketable.、Um, and I think that just as a pairing, as a flavor, I don't think it clashes that much. I don't think it's that wild. It's just that, as Hongling mentioned. Coffee is generally seen as something that can be had on its own in a rush in the morning, and obviously, the caffeine aspect of it, and that it's hot as well. But I, I still don't think that it's anything that special, to be honest. I feel、yeah. like marketable is the key here because this combination of beef offal and the coffee has garnered a lot of attention with social media posts and videos from bloggers receiving tens of thousands of likes. And even if it's just a marketing strategy, it has been really successful. And it's not the first time that we pair strange things up, like He Yang has mentioned. Luosifen strikes me the most for sure. River、uh, snail stinky noodles with coffee. Mm. Anyway, not, I think not as bad. No, equally as bad, in my <laughs> opinion. But <laughs> I should choose my words carefully. But you know, if you're an adventurous person who loves good food and try out new things, see if this one will stick. Sorry, I think I, I interrupted you just now. Did I? No. No. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um. Well, yeah. And there are some other interesting combinations or. Fusion foods with beverages, for example, 
vegetable and tea drinks apparently is gaining some traction now as well. Yeah, when I look at this, actually, I have. Well, I, I think this list of drinks are much more frowned upon, according to my personal opinion. For example, vegetables and coffee. You have、um, cilantro americano, Sichuan pepper latte, combining traditional spice with coffee. And there's also the choice of vegetable plus tea drinks, like bitter gourd lemon tea. You would add some bitter gourd juice to lemon tea, and also local food plus tea drinks. That is not as bad.、Hmm. So yeah, having all these different kinds of genres of food putting together, apparently we have some very anxious sellers trying really hard to be innovative and see whether or not it'll be a good choice for customers. Yeah, do you like these tea options, Josh? Personally, do I like them? Uh, no, I'm pretty old school with it. I'm I'm British, so we learn how we like our tea, and we drink the same cup of tea for the rest of our lives. No change. It has to be the same brand, same brew. I'm totally、yep. different here. Each time my favorite tea place or milk tea place or coffee place starts something new, I would be the first to try them out. And though I'm not like some. Bloggers that are、uh, trying every new type and having a list of the things they like, they don't like about them, or whether or not they will recommend the new product. I still would find standing in the line trying something new very exciting. Standing in the line is already off-putting for me. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that requires me to wait, going somewhere else, you don't deserve me standing in the line. <laughs> But I do find a. This might be a little bit of a misconception. I like to see what Josh has to say about this, but or maybe because we do what we do, working in media, and we're always looking at like new trends, pieces of news,、um, consumption as such. And my general feeling is a lot of Chinese customers are very much more curious、mm. than. Possibly peers in some of the other countries when there are these odd, strange new things, and then people actually、uh, show up、mm. to to get them. And yeah, Josh, have you spotted this kind of phenomenon? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't even know if that's a phenomenon. I think that that's pretty normal, and people are always interested in something new. In especially when it comes to food and flavor, especially in China, where food. And finding new flavors, going out to eat, and really enjoying the meal is something that's really valued and something that people socialize around. Right? It's a real social event to go out and eat at a new restaurant, find a new food to eat in China. It's less so in my own country. Honestly, most of our socializing revolves around the pub or something like this. But、um, so it, it makes a lot of sense to me.、Um, trying to trying something new, I, I think.、Uh, A lot of people have a taste for this, and I think that they always will, especially in China. Yeah, a pint of Guinness with beef offal. See if that can. Well, it sounds great. <laughs> See, I think the combination. It yeah, it just triggers this、uh, memory in our minds, and、uh, hopefully, it's a good one. You're listening to Roundtable. Thank you so much, Josh Cotterell and Niu Honglin, for joining the discussion. I'm He Yang. We'll see you next time. 